So I have a message that God's put on my heart, but it's, there's a word in there just for you. Amen. Just what you're going through, just what your struggle is, just what your worries are, your fears, or, or anything like that. This week is Passion Week. It's Palm Sunday. Palm <laughs> Sunday. Come on, who's in the spirit? <laughs> just want to make sure. We, get, we have palms. We do palms in Tampa. That's what, that's what we do. It's Palm Sunday, uh, but this week is called Passion Week because it is one of the most passionate weeks you see Jesus actually stepping into uh, his calling and why he originally came here and everything that's involved. Passions uh, are things that are emotionally strong, convictions that are emotionally strong. That's what, that's what passion is. So I just want to start with this question. What is your passion? What are you passionate about? You can be passionate about many things, and that's all good. Food, who's passionate about food? Come on. <laughs> or you can call us foodies, whatever, you know. But I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm passionate about uh, doing things. I, I, I like to get out and do walks in the nature and things like that. Man, I like that. Maybe you're passionate about running. That is definitely not God. But anyway, you know, <laughs> that's funny. You're passionate about that. You're passionate about sports, getting all the scores. Like, that's cool. That's, that, that's good. You know, um, you're, you can be passionate about everything because that's what makes you happy. But the question is not that's what makes you happy. The question is why does that make you happy? Why does doing this passion make you happy in life? You see, you need to understand that passion comes from purpose. If you, if you, if you know your purpose, then you, you are able to live in your passion. Passion comes from purpose. But purpose comes from your premise. Your, in other words, what you think, your core. This is why we're called core church. Because I don't want to just deal with your passion, because passion is what you do. Purpose is what you think, how you think. But premise, the core values, is what you believe. Because you can change someone's actions. Do this, don't do that. <laughs> and it's just rote. It's just, if you can understand the context, religion. It's just acts. But if you are changing what we actually are, what we believe on the inside, it changes our purpose, which gives us guidelines to be passionate about where we are. And that's what brings us joy. To, to have that kind of passion is what brings us joy. John 15, 11, I love this verse. It says, Jesus said, I told you this, the teaching, everything that I've laid out, I told you this so that my joy may be in you. So Jesus joy in us, and your joy may be complete. So the joy that we have should be the joy that comes from Christ, that comes from God. So God's joy is our joy, and that's the only type of thing that makes us complete. Now, we can be happy with our passion. <laughs> we do this, go out to this place, or do this, or do this run, or do this. We can be happy with it. But really, the joy, the passion that brings joy is a passion that comes from Christ. See, Jesus' passion, his passion, was for you to have joy. Isn't that amazing? I love that. His passion was, I have come that they may have my joy and that they may have it completely. But it's his passion 
It, it's, it's, you can do this passion and that can be okay, but sometimes passions are not good. And you think that you have a passion, sometimes we call it addiction or whatever. You have a passion for something, you think that's not good. Why is that not good? Well, because the purpose is a little screwed up. What, where you think, and, and that is messed up because the premise, the core value. If you believe uh, something wrong at the core of who you are, if it is out of step with what God teaches us, then that premise messes up the purpose, and that purpose messes up the passion, and the passion is what you do and how, how we live. You see, this, it's important to understand that passion is, if I could put it in another frame of context, passion is a human equivalent of your of fuel to, is to car. So that you have fuel, and, and you go, right? Uh, uh, and that's, that's passion. That, that's what the passion is. Now, suppose you have a really nice uh, uh, Ford mach uh, electric car, and you pull up to a gas station, and you pull it out there, and you stick it in there, and you start pumping gas. It's not going to work. It's going to make a mess. Things are going to blow up. There's going to be a fire. It's just not going to be good. You're going to be in the news, everything like that. Don't associate with core church. But anyway, it, it's, pastor told me to do it. No, listen to what I'm saying. It's like, it's like when we do that, we're having, putting the wrong fuel in. And sometimes we're looking for that joy, and we have the wrong fuel. We're, doing, we're filling ourselves up with passions of this world. So the question is, are you running on empty? Are you running on empty now? Are you feeling like, I just don't have it. I don't, I don't feel passionate about this or, or this isn't right. or this. And you feel like you're running on empty. There's nothing inside of you. Maybe your electric car hooked up to gasoline or the other way around. You haven't put the wrong thing in there. And you might be happy about some of the passions you do, but you're not really filled with the joy that God has. Are you ready to discover your real passion this morning? Because I believe God is going to speak to us. It doesn't mean, again, I'm not saying don't do that or don't do these other passions, but what drives you, what your premise is, what your core values is, is going to affect your purpose. If you feel like I have no purpose in life, then I'm going to then step back and say, well, then what's my premise? What do I believe? Do I believe God loves me? Do I believe God can use me? Do I believe God cares for me? If, or do I believe this is all just religion? Do I believe it's not really real, that God's up there? There might be a God up there. He's just looking from a distance, <laughs> you know, and he's not really involved in my life. That wrong premise. Wrong premise is going to produce a wrong purpose. The wrong purpose will give you wrong passion in your life. So this morning I want to talk about passion for life. Passion for all of our life. Passion to have life any way you want to see it. It's about passion for life. And you might ask yourself, how can I find this kind of passion? I want this kind of passion in my life. How can I get this kind of passion in my life? The passion that really brings joy. And here's my first thought. Passion for life means finding the joy of sacrifice. Uh, now, immediately you're going, no, 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 no. Joy over here, sacrifice over here, the two never meet. <laughs> and actually, it's just the opposite. The sacrifice that you make for your passion brings you joy. In fact, if you're passionate and you have the right purpose and it's founded on the right premise, you don't mind the sacrifice. 
You don't mind doing this. So Jesus, on Palm Sunday, is crashes the parade. That's what you need to understand about Palm Sunday. Not that they stood there and yelled, Hosanna, and waved. He actually crashed the parade. There was a parade there that day, and they were all lined up because it was a festival, and they were ready for the running of the lambs. <laughs> Not the bulls, the lambs. Because running of the bulls, you know, some of the bulls live. But running of the lambs, nobody lives. Because the running of the lambs was all about bringing in all the lambs that were born in the fields of Bethlehem. And the fields of Bethlehem is where the shepherds grew up and raised the lambs that were meant for the sacrifice. Did you catch that picture? That's where the lambs were born. Not in Bethlehem, outside of Bethlehem. Outside in the fields. So all the shepherds of Bethlehem would, would get all the lambs and they would run it up to the sheep's gate. And all the people would line up. That's why they were there. They were lining up because of the Passover. They were lining up. And all these sheep would, would go through. And as they're running through, as they're going up in there, then the high priest would watch for the perfect lamb, for the lamb that was to be sacrificed, for the Paschal lamb, the lamb that would be sacrificed for all of Israel. They're watching for the perfect lamb, the one without spot, the one that was perfect in every way. So they're up there, up high. Some versions have them having found the lamb and brought it in. But I like this story where they're sitting there watching and all the lambs are coming through and all the lambs are, are coming through. And then <laughs> it's like, what? What is this? John 12, 12 says, the great uh, crowd, enormous crowd that had come for the festival and the running of the lambs heard that Jesus was on the way. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the picture totally changed. It totally turned around. And all of a sudden, they, were, they had the palms, and they weren't just watching the lambs go through that were going to be sacrificed for all of Israel. They were watching the lambs go through, and then here comes Jesus, and they started shouting, Hosanna, 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 which totally, you can imagine, ticked off the, the, the Pharisees and the high priests because that's not what this was about. This was about the one lamb being found to be sacrificed for all of Israel, and they missed it. Because Jesus, some would think, oh, the disciples lined everyone up. Okay, Jesus is coming. Take this palm. When he comes by, wave it and yell, Hosanna. <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> they were watching the lambs, and then they heard, Jesus is coming. What do you do when Jesus is coming? What do you do when Jesus is on the way? How do you change? You see, Jesus crashed the parade because he was going to be the sacrifice. He is the Paschal Lamb. He came at the very end of all that riding on a donkey. They said, and we're looking for a perfect one. Who is this guy showing up? He's running our parade. And Jesus said, I am the parade. I am what is it everything about. This sacrifice that he was going to bring is the ultimate joy, the joy that ultimately that we would have. You see, passion for life is willing to sacrifice everything. The big things and the little things, not just certain things. Uh, if I would ask you, if maybe if, if you're a parent or a grandparent here this morning, and I would say, would you die to protect your grandchild? Would you die to lay down your life for your children? 
probably without question, everyone would, yeah, that's me. I'd do that. I'd like that. I, I, I would do that. In fact, let me just do that. If, you, if you're a parent and you have a, a child or a grandchild, would you give your life to protect them so that they wouldn't die? How many, how many would do that? Okay, 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 with your hands still up. How many would spend all day listening to their music instead of yours? Wait, 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 let's don't get carried away about that. Sure, I'll die for him. But have you listened to 15 hours of Barney? Have, 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 I, I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, dinosaur. Anyway, I'm having a flashback to, to my kids. It's a little different story. You see, sometimes it's easier to say, I'll do the big thing, and we just skip all the little things along the way. Luke 19.41 says, uh, as he approached Jerusalem on the parade, he saw the city and he wept. Now, this is odd. What is he crying about? What is Jesus is weeping? And the word there is not just he gets the sniffles, his eyes get moistened, you know, like you see in the movie. Tears. He was weeping. Because they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, who comes in as a Messiah, who comes as a king, who comes to deliver us. Missing the whole idea. Missing the whole point. Missing everything. See, Jesus could have just come and just said, okay, I'm going to die, and just ignored everyone all week long. And just said, it's about the cross, which it is. It's about me dying for everyone's sin, the sins of the whole world, which it was. It, that's true. But along the way, he cared about the people. And he said, these people don't understand. These people are confused because they think it's going to be one thing and not a little thing. I remember when Lisa and I were first dating some, oh, long time ago, decades, 38 years ago or so, or nine. You know, it's not just, it's not just I wanted to do the big things, but all the little things for her. Why? Because I loved her. You see, if you're married, it's not any good to say, I love you. I just want you to know I love you. And then you go off and live your own way and act your own way and ignore him or her. That doesn't work. Because it's the little things along the way that make us understand how we have to give everything to him and have to share everything that God wants us to give to one another. Just a simple little marriage tip. I'm telling you, don't worry about, what big thing do I need to do to make this right? Do a bunch of the little things. I promise you, a bunch of little things will change everything. You see, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about, the Bible says God is jealous. God is jealous. That doesn't seem right. That seems like it's a pretty negative emotion. But what it really means is that God wants all of you, every part of you. He's not satisfied. And in that, that context of that verse, he says, God is jealous because he doesn't want you bowing down to other idols or other sacrifices. He wants all of you because he gave all of him for you so that we can give all of ourselves to him. He's a jealous God. He wants all of us. He wants every bit of us, not just a little part here and not just a little part there. Are we willing to give him all? Are we willing to do all, God? Not just the big things, but the little things. And, and you think, God, I'll do the big sacrifice, but then we won't do here, or we won't give, or we won't serve, or we won't show up. I'm sorry, did I just start jumping on toes? Or, 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 we, or we don't care, or we won't forgive. Hmm. Or we won't, or we just 
want to move on and not do the little things. And I think sometimes people do that. I gave my life to Christ. Big thing. <laughs> Good. We want the big thing, right? So when we get to heaven, we're all partying together. We want the big thing. But the big thing is made up of a bunch of little things along the way of love, forgiveness, kind, service, sacrifice. But passion for life to really find the joy that I'm talking about is not just sacrifice, but a passion for life also means finding the joy in action. <laughs> Doing it. You're passionate about something, and so when that means you want to do it. <laughs> if you're not passionate about it, you procrastinate. So we have procrastination or passion. Doesn't that not make up our lives? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. We put it off. We put it off. We put it off. Oh, I got to do that. I got to empty the dishwasher. <laughs> don't want to do that. I got I to gotta take out the trash. Don't want to do that. So we procrastinate. We don't do. But what we're passionate about, we do do. Sorry, didn't mean to say do do in church. Oh, got you laughing. That's really good. <laughs> the point is, is that Jesus didn't just talk about going to the cross. He did. Jesus didn't say, ah, it's better if you're going to love somebody. The greatest way you can love someone is lay down your life. That's a good teaching, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And then move on. He did. Because he was passionate for you. He was passionate for everything that you are. And so he did these things so that we can be passionate. If we're going to be passionate and find real joy, if we're going to be built on the right premise and the right purpose and the right passion and to find this really joy that God wants for us, then that, that means that we're going to have to be passionate about doing the little things. You say, well, Greg, how does that work? What, do we be, what, should, we, what should we do? People ask me, Greg, tell me specifically, what should I do? Okay, it's easy. Passion for life acts for those who don't have a prayer. <laughs> Find someone who doesn't have a prayer. You understand what I'm saying? Find someone that's just like, whoa, <laughs> they're, they're out there. Find some of that. So Jesus, in this last week, goes into the temple and clears it out for the second time. You know that. There's two cleansings of the temple. The first one you find in John chapter 2, and it was after the... Uh, the uh, the first miracle where he turned water into wine, which we're all excited about. <laughs> and then he goes in and clears out the temple. He makes the whip, not to whip people, <laughs> so crazy. But he had, there was cattle in there, and he had to get the cattle out. So, you know, he, you know if it was a, in a Western type of thing, he would have made one of those ropes and wrangled them. <laughs> but he had to do, do that. So he cleansed the temple. And then here we are in the last week of his life, and he goes in the temple... And he does it again. Now, I now taught over and over. You got to get the picture. What's that about? Why does he get? See, why don't he just say, "I'm going to the cross"? Whatever, guys. You're screwed up. You're. I got to move on. No, no, no. Because God loves us, and God loves those that don't even have a prayer, that seem to be on the very outside of things. And the picture comes from. As a way to understand this, Leviticus, you know, when you're reading through Leviticus and you're going, what? <laughs> this is so hard. Why am I doing that? <laughs> in Leviticus 14, it talks about a priest has to go into the home that has been infected with some kind of disease or sickness or something, fungus, whatever it is. And he has to cleanse it. 
One of the ways he cleanses is he's taking the stones that are, because most were stone houses, that were infected and throwing them out. So he has to cleanse it. But that's not good enough. He goes back a second time to inspect it at a certain period of time, to inspect it again and say, did this work? Do I have to, did, did, it, did it work the first time? And if it doesn't work the first time, then he takes all the stones and throws them out and the whole house is demolished. Why did Jesus cleanse the temple? Because he said, you have made this place a marketplace when it should be a place of prayer for the Gentiles who didn't have a prayer. Because where they set up was the only place a Gentile could pray in the temple. That was it. There was nothing else. This was the whole room. So imagine if you're a Gentile and you say, well, I'm going to go pray to God. And you walk in and there's selling and there's buying and there's commerce and there's cattle and there's mooing and baying and whatever happens, you know, that's going on and all of that and yet arguing over the price and everything. And that's where you're supposed to pray. If we had all those distractions in here and we had a, a day of prayer, it's like, a, you know, people would just like get up and leave. How do you do that? You can't. And so Jesus said, you have made this house a house of robbers because you're robbing these people of their chance to be with God. Their only chance. They literally don't have a prayer. So he cleansed it out the first time at the beginning of his ministry, comes back three years later, and it was all the same. They just moved the tables back in. They just brought the cattle back in. They just thought, crazy crazy man, <laughs> crazy rabbi, and just brought it all back in and just did it back up. And what did Jesus say? This house will be destroyed. This temple will not stand. He threw out the old stones so that the new stones, the living stones, you and I, as the Bible teaches us, can become the temple of God. That's the picture. And it's always about what he cares about. It says that when he cleansed the temple, that the disciples said, remember the verse, the zeal of God will consume me. When's the last time you were zealous that you were passionate for people, for the house of God, to serve, to work, to live, to, to do, to give, to do whatever, so that people can know Jesus Christ, and people can have a life, so people can have a prayer. Why are we here? Why are we building core church? So people can have a prayer. So that people can find God and know that he's real and know that what God is doing is real. When was the last time that, that consumed you? I love Romans 12, 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal. Never. Man, we have to be passionate people. If you're living a passionless life as a Christian, you have missed it. And it makes me wonder, do you even know what God is about? Our lives should be filled with passion to people come to God, to see people know who he is, to see them healed and made whole, their marriages put together, families that are broken, restored. That's what God is about. Are you passionate about God? Are you passionate about every, everything that he is? Be passionate to serve, the verse says. Passionate to serve. Because that's how we help. That's how we are passionate about what God wants us to do. Galatians, it talks about zeal. And, and, and Paul's writing, it says, the world is trying to get your zeal toward them. Trying to get your zeal to be toward them instead of what God wants. And the world always does that. The world is still trying to do that. It steals our zeal. It steals our passion. And so we get passionate about that. It's okay to be passionate about the Dallas Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. 
even though it, even though it never happens. It's okay to be passionate about this or that or whatever. It's okay to be about that. That will give you some happiness, although it brings nothing but misery to me. But that's beside the point. You can be passionate, but our passion, the passion, what drives us is built on a greater purpose and the surest premise that Jesus Christ died for us and that we are desperately, desperately seeking to know, help the world find who Jesus is. Passion for life acts also for those who cannot stand on their own. You know, the one that keeps screwing up, that keeps falling. When do we just write them off? When do we just say, later? <laughs> because you're just too messed up. You're, just, you're not going to do it. When do we just push them aside? Jesus was taken from the garden by the soldiers. He was taken to Caiaphas, the high priest's house. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was beaten really, really bad and thrown into Caiaphas' personal little dungeon. The high priest had his own personal little dungeon. That should tell you everything. Mine is not like that, but no, just kidding. Wow, come on, guys. The point is that he was there, probably in the very courtyard. If you go and see Caiaphas' house now where it is in Jerusalem, it's all beautiful and made up and things like that. And, and I've always read that it's very likely that Jesus would have had a high window in there and could have heard what was going on in the courtyard. Of course, you look at this and you think, oh, that's not right. And then he says, of course, none of this was here. This was built on about 20, 30 feet above where everything was. So you can imagine Jesus beaten, bloody, knowing this is just the start of his suffering, just the beginning. In earshot of Peter, who says, I don't know this man. Not once, not twice, three times. Now, Jesus wasn't surprised. He told Peter he was going to do this. So, so Jesus is going, man, I'm so disappointed in Peter. I just, I just thought he would do it. No, he knew he would. Because he knows us. He knows the frame of men and women and our weakness and our failures. He, he knows who we are. And so he knew Peter was going to fall. They would take the lambs that would all come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And all the families that were there had a responsibility at least four days before the Passover is to go get a lamb that would be sacrificed for their particular family. So they would go and find a lamb. But this is the rules. They had to take this lamb and they had to live with the lamb. It had to eat with them. It had to sleep with their kids. They technically had to fall in love with this precious little lamb. <laughs> You had to fall in love with him. He's just so cute, and he just bounces around. He eats their food. They feed it from the table. That's what they they live with this lamb. Then, on Passover, the father would take the lamb and have to carry it on his shoulders, holding his feet that were probably tied, and go to the priest with the whole family, all the little girls, all the little boys. They're all there. Hi, waving at the lamb. Eh, it's all good. We're just going. They don't know what. Maybe they knew. Maybe they didn't. And go to the priest. And he has the lamb on the shoulders. And the priest would come up to the father. 
and ask a question. Do you love this lamb? Oh, yes. We fell in love with this lamb. Kids, do you love this lamb? Yep, yep. We love, we love, we love this lamb. And then the priest would ask a second time, do you really love this lamb? Oh, yes, for sure. I love this lamb. And then he would ask a third time, but do you love this lamb that was about to die for you? And they, the father would say yes. If he said no, or the priest did not believe him, then there was no sacrifice. You had to love the lamb. I think Peter was probably demolished, broken, destroyed. After the resurrection even, he did the whatever. Because it's not me, I, I failed. I messed up. All of a sudden they see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus on the shore. And they, they, they go to him, and they have food with him, and he eats, because food is always God's will. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I knew it, Seth. I count on you. And then Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know I do, Master. He said, then feed my lambs. And then he looks at him again and says, Peter, do you really love me? Maybe by this time, Peter, being the good Jew that he is, understands what Jesus is doing. I think the second question just broke him. But when he asked the third time, Peter, do you love me? He wasn't just trying to restore him from, a, from earlier when he denied him three times. He was saying... The lamb that's on your shoulder that died for you, the sacrifice for you, do you love me? Because that's what it takes to love him, to have a passion for God. And Peter broke into tears, said, you know that I love you, then feed my lambs. And I think God asked us still that. Do we have a passion enough for those that fall? And maybe that's you. Or maybe that's someone that you know that you just want to give up on and move away from or just say too much. Do we have a passion? Jesus was willing to restore. Jesus died to restore. Jesus is the lamb that died for you and I so that we could be restored. Amen. Here's the last action. Passion for life acts, acts, does for those too hurt, hurt too deeply to even ask for help. Well, you got to ask. God's not going to do anything for anyone if they don't ask. You need to think about that. The high priest's servant, Malchus, came with the guards and soldiers to the garden. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter who swore, I'll protect you. See, Peter was willing to do the big stuff. Took his sword. I cut off this man's head. But when he's standing before a little girl in the courtyard, you do, not me. He took and he swung, missed the head, because he evidently wasn't very good at the sword. 
He wasn't a good runner, and he wasn't very good at the sword. And took off his ear. Okay, you just got to see this scene. Malchus was probably screaming in pain. But at the same time, he was probably yelling, kill him, kill him, kill him. Malchus was the servant, the main, probably slave of the high priest to make sure it got done. He was a believer in what was happening. He was a believer in what had to happen. He, he believed it. He bought in it. He wasn't a bystander being forced to go. No, no, Mal, the high priest would not have sent him. He would only send someone that really was committed so he was absolutely committed to make sure that Jesus was captured and that he would get what he deserves. Ultimately, Jesus was captured and we got what we didn't deserve. But before anything could happen, while he was probably still feeling pain and hurt and anger, Jesus bent down picked up the ear, quickly put it, touched it, healed. I think there was no blood, there was no nothing. Oh, well, I think he probably even heard better than he ever did before. I think he was in shock. Jesus didn't say, no, Peter, I mean, uh, uh, Malchus, do you believe that I can heal you? Mm -mm. He didn't say, he, he, he didn't say, do you want to be? No. Jesus just healed the hurt. Got to see the picture. Remember, it's always about the story. What's the picture here? Jesus had told, or Peter had told Jesus, you're the, you're the Messiah. And, and Jesus said, you're the church. <laughs> I'm going to build my whole church on this. I'm going to have this declaration of faith. I'm going to build everything. You're it, Peter. You're it, Peter. So who cut off the servant's ear? but the church. Maybe you. Maybe me. And sometimes the church hurts, just being real with you guys, or the deepest, or the hardest. But the picture we have here is that Jesus heals. He didn't even ask. <laughs> he goes right to it. And I don't know what hurts you, or I don't know what hurt you might have given, but Jesus is the healer for all of that. Jesus took action and showered him in grace and love. We don't know what happened to Malchus. There's no, nothing in history. Whether he became a believer or not, I mean, <laughs> he could certainly hear the gospel, but <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. But he had a choice. Seeing the healing, healed the hurt, what would he do? And we don't know what Malchus did, but maybe we know what you did. Are you willing to have the hurt healed? Are you willing to heal the hurt, to be used by God? Because that's, that, that is passion that leads to joy, that changes a world. Do you receive God's word this morning? Come on, give God thanks. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, if there's anyone here, maybe they were hurt. Maybe they were hurt by the church, by someone in the church or someone acting as the church. I don't know. God, I pray you bring such healing. 
And I pray, Lord, that the love, the grace would cover them. Father, if we're lost in passions of this world and not passions for you, God, we'll never find the joy. God, you came and you died on the cross. You bled and you gave everything so that we can give you all that we have. So, Father, I pray for anyone and everyone, anyone listening, watching right here, right now, or anyone in this room, Father, that does not know you, that hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ, God, I pray right now that they make that decision. Here, now, change everything. To take action with the passion of loving you. And say, Father, forgive me. Jesus, come into my heart. I accept your salvation. And Lord, I pray right now that prayer for every single person that doesn't know you. Father, let them know that your grace is enough. That your mercy is enough. That your healing is enough. For every single person here. And God let us arise out of that. With a passion. To serve. To live. And to help the world around us. Through you. And I pray for that. In every soul. In the name of Jesus. Amen.